Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. This is going to be a very good episode. I think you'll really like this episode with the Griego family. And we're going to be talking to Jennifer Griego, Bob and Carol Griego about uh, cystic fibrosis and going to be talking about uh, Jen's completion of her Grand Slam of North American Wild Sheep. Before we get into that, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com, my friend Cody Nelson of 20 plus years. He is the glassing guru. He's the optics authority. He's the optics manager at GoHunt.com in the gear shop. If you have any optical needs at all, whether it be binos, spotting scopes, tripods, uh, rifle scopes, what have you, you can give him a call at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2 or email him at optics at gohunt.com. Now he has promised me that he will take care of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listener. So if you just mention my name, uh, he is going to take care of you and he's already been doing that for several months now. I want to thank gohunt.com for their sponsorship. I also want to remind you that if you go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott, you're going to get a $50 GoHunt gear shop gift card and GoHunt Insider. It is the best Western hunting resource out there. And if you want to search draw odds on all these Western states, on all these application periods coming up, that is the best Western hunting resource out there. So make sure to check them out and uh, get 50 bucks back uh, on a gift card. Uh, by going to gohunt.com forward slash jscott. I also want to thank kuyu.com. That's kuyu, K-U-I-U, ultralight hunting. Uh, You can check out all of the gear that uh, kuyu makes. It's all the gear that I wear on my hunts at kuyu.com. Thank them for their sponsorship. Also, canyoncoolers.com, based right out of Flagstaff, Arizona. Use the jscott19 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount on all orders. Phonescope.com, use the jscott19 promo code to get 10% off on all orders. And last but not least, onxmaps.com, use the jscott19 promo code to get a 20% discount on all orders at onxmaps.com. Guys, let's get right to this episode with the Griegos. I really appreciate your support. I appreciate your support on my Instagram account. If you want to send me a direct message, you can at jscottoutdoors, or you can send me an email, uh, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Guys, thanks for your support. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I am here in Paradise Valley, Arizona at the home of Bob and Carol Griego, dear friends of mine, and the Griegos have kids that have been a part of my life for a long time with Jennifer Griego, who is sitting here to my left, and Timmy Griego, we call him Gator, we call him Hammerhead, he's got a lot of nicknames, and then David Griego, and the Griego family is very dear to me, I've had a lot of uh, great times and fun times with them hunting up on the White Mountain Apache Indian Reservation for turkeys and seems like we've been doing it for years and these kiddos here I mean I remember when we first started going they were tiny little guys and here we are we're sitting in the Griego trophy room and I'm looking around and there's um, just awesome trophies all sorts of animals and memories all over the walls and fish and and all all sorts of you know sheep and elk and bears and just awesome stuff and turkeys 
and um, it's going to be a fun day to talk about a bunch of things. Uh, one of them is how a family like you guys uh, have the hunting tradition, and it passes down to the kiddos, and uh, you guys do such a great job of, you know, hunting as a family, and you can see it ever since I've met you guys. You guys are so much fun, and the tradition of hunting, you're here uh, beautiful house uh, in Paradise Valley and we've got archery targets in the backyard and archery is such a big part of I know Bob's life and and the rest of the family loves to hunt archery and rifle and all sorts of things um, and then we're also going to talk about uh, uh, cystic fibrosis and we're going to bring awareness to cystic fibrosis and um, some of the challenges that the Griego family has had with cystic fibrosis and all of the but most important, the, the great um, accomplishments that Jen has been able to do with cystic fibrosis and do things that people uh, that are of perfect health have never accomplished. So it's an amazing uh, story. Uh, Jen, you are an inspiration to me. I say it on my Instagram page a lot, how uh, proud of you that I am of your accomplishments. Uh, but, but besides the accomplishments, just the person that you are um, you're you. just a great person and you know I think that funnels down from Bob and Carol and seeing the uh, example that you guys have been able to lead as parents and so we're gonna have a fun time talking on the podcast it's gonna be hard because you know it seems like when we all get together it's joking and laughing and I'm sure we'll have some of that today <laughs> um, but we also have some um, serious topics as well so it's but uh, it's going to be a fun podcast. So, guys, welcome. Great. Thanks, Thank you, Jay. Thank you for having us, Jay. I kind of want to start out this podcast, and uh, we've got Bandit. Uh, our dog <laughs> here is uh, he's roaming around, so if you hear some some noises, it's probably Bandit. And um, At least we're going to blame Bandit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Bob, starting with you, and we're going to get a little background on the Griego family. You're from Arizona here. I believe you went to Shadow Mountain High School. Uh, but you have a very successful uh, practice here in town. Uh, would you talk a little bit about your upbringing as far as, you know, ASU and high school and then your career as a doctor and kind of give a little background on, on yourself? Sure. Well, I'm a native Arizonan. My dad uh, was born in Prescott, Arizona, and um, I grew up in Scottsdale, like uh, Sweetwater and 60th Street. <clears throat> Went to Shadow Mountain High School and then ASU, where I met Carol. Say hi, Carol. Hi. Um, we were both pre-med at the time. Um, I went into um, biomedical engineering to get into medical school and then went to U of A Medical School after that. So you went to ASU undergrad <coughs> and then you finished at U of A. And then when you got out of... Uh, U of A, then you started a practice. Talk, tell us a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and maybe it's changed a little bit in the last few years, but, you know, getting out of medical school, what has been your specialty? And talk a little bit about that. Right. So I'm a dermatologist by training. And after that training, I did skin cancer surgery as training. And so um, my practice is just the treatment of skin cancer. So I, I went to Shadow Mountain High School, went to Arizona State University, majored in biomedical engineering, where I met the love of my life, Carol, 
and her gymnastics oh. stuff. We were both pre-med. And then I, from there I went to the U of A for medical school and then Baylor for residency and my surgical fellowship in Pittsburgh. So now in my practice, I just do the skin cancer surgery. Um, uh, great patients. It's really a wonderful career. Patients, um, you know, have a 99.5% cure rate for the skin cancers. People are not dying of them. You cut them out and repair them. You do the cosmetic work to fix them. And it's just a fun career. And most of my patients are farmers or ranchers or hunters or fishermen. So get a chance to sit and talk to them. And do you have people come from mm -hmm. oh, all right. over the country to come to your clinic here? And, uh, go ahead and tell people where you're located. He Quite does, a bit. Yeah, my practice well. is in Mesa, Arizona, off the 101 and Southern. And yeah, I've been there for 20, moved in there in 99. So uh, 19 years in that location and get patients from all over, mostly Arizona, but you know, the whole Southwest. He does more Mohs surgery than anybody else in the country. So he's a very busy guy and very successful with uh, his repairs too. A lot of Mohs surgeons just take the excision, but it's in the reconstruction. That's really uh, what Bob enjoys doing and is really, really a, very good at it. He's really good. Like I see pictures and it's pretty good. Yeah. Who would have guessed the value of the sun would have a lot of skin cancer? And there was an article that I wrote that was in Western Hunter last year that you know, if anybody's interested in that, as far as warning signs for skin cancer, what to look out for, I think that's pretty helpful for people to yeah. help recognize what's a problem on their skin. And Bob, in general, just a general, um, what you would tell people to prevent that, is it cover up, wear sunscreen, is there anything else to that? Yeah, try to avoid the sun in the middle of the day from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. and wear an SPF 30 or higher sunscreen. Make sure that you wear a wide brim hat. You know, we really need to get in the habit of putting your sunscreen on every day because it's a lifetime accumulation. It's not just the sunburns. Unfortunately, the most fun things in the world are outdoors, um, but that's where the sun damage comes from. So sure. got to protect yourself. And so you went to ASU and then you went to U of A, but I've got to ask you, are you a wildcat or are you a sun devil? Well, mm. Jay, I can walk upright, so that makes me a sun devil. <laughs> <laughs> Very good answer. You know, we, um, I was born and raised in Phoenix and always followed ASU and I also wanted U of A to win until they were playing ASU until I lived in Tucson for six years for medical school residency and a year of research. And no, I prefer the Wildcats lose. <laughs> <laughs> Me and you both. Yeah. And uh, did you get a hold of Brian Ramsey after the last basketball no, game? No, but I've screenshotted oh, it should've. and I plan to for <laughs> sure. <laughs> Because I'm, I don't care what sport it is, whenever U of A beats us in, like, oh, the golf or whatever, he, like, sends it, like, hey, they oh beat it. Like, so <laughs> I'm, I need to get some mileage out of this because he, you know, like, oh, underwater backgammon that we just beat. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. The U of A fans tend to remind Sun Devil fans all the time when they win. So yeah. we need to do a better job reminding them when they lose. Yep. That's awesome. Fun. And, Carol, you yourself are a doctor as well. And mm -hmm. you and Bob met, and you, uh, I got to hear the story last night <laughs> of how you and Bob met, and it was a really cute story. Uh, you were a gymnast, uh -huh. and tell, tell us a little bit about yourself growing up here in Arizona, and, um, you know, were you a hunter when you grew up, or is this something when you met Bob that you, um, you know, fell in love with hunting yourself? Well, I'm a city girl. My family came from Chicago. We moved here in 1973 with my mom and dad and my five siblings. 
So, um, my, obviously, my early years were in Chicago, and then moving here to Phoenix when I was about 10 years old, I got involved in gymnastics pretty much right away. A neighbor of mine was a gymnast, and so I loved it. So, um, spent most of my free time doing gymnastics, uh, and um, went to ASU and was uh, grateful to be on the number one ranked ASU gymnastics team and it was a great experience made great friends and had some great experiences there and Bob and I met towards the end of that my last year and Bob was a favorite uh, in the gym when he would come and watch uh, my coach actually wouldn't let most of the boyfriends in but he, he liked Bob so that was uh, not into the locker room though Jay they, they had some <laughs> rules <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun and um but, you know, Bob never really started his hunting interests until well into med school. So um, my exposure to hunting and outdoors was very limited. I mean, I was in the gym most of the time and then studying pre-med. And obviously my aspiration to be a doctor started uh, pretty young uh, in my high school, early college years. So my days are pretty occupied. But um, once we got to med school... Uh, at U of A together, Bob met some other people that were outdoorsy, and Bob likes, you know, he's kind of artistic, and then he likes to do photography, and so when he got involved in hunting, he just wanted to go with his buddy and take some pictures, and so that hobby started off uh, in med school, just uh, slowly, uh, and then Bob doesn't do anything halfway, so it didn't take long for him to be completely impassioned by the sport of, of hunting, and really wasn't until our kids were born obviously many years later Bob and I have been together for a very long time gosh we met you know uh, age 21 and we had to go through all of our training before we actually got married so we dated for seven eight years before we were married and I thought you're still 29 yeah and I'm still 29 and waiting <laughs> she still looks 29 <laughs> <laughs> thank you Jay uh, so um, so the hunting I you know Bob would go on hunting trips and occasionally early part of our marriage it was like gosh you're going for a week you're going for two weeks it's like what the heck yeah. you know that's a long time. How could time. it be that hard to yeah. kill something? <laughs> Comes home with nothing I'm like okay that was a waste. He said no it wasn't it was great. Yeah. And I'm thinking all right so it was a bit of a transition to you know your husband to be gone and obviously I was working and busy and but I didn't understand the the sport of of hunting and I really didn't have an interest, but I knew it was his passion, and he came home um, happy whether he got uh, an animal or not. So it was something that I wanted to continue to support because it was such a happy place for him to be. And it wasn't until we had our children, uh, and they were old enough to go outdoors, and, and Bob was like, each kid's going to get their hunting license or their hunter safety mm -hmm. license at mm -hmm. age 10, and and, you know, uh, each kid did that, and then Bob's like, well, Carol, you need to learn how to handle a gun. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't need to. So funny. She never had any interest at all in hunting until the kids started doing it. That's cool. But she's so competitive that sure. she couldn't be outdone by the kids. So when they, started, <laughs> they started being successful. She was like, oh, I can do that. I can do that. And so we started out with an antelope hunt for you. and Which was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> you got your antelope, but got a lot of running around, too, chasing the antelope before you could get your shot, but. Yeah. It was a lot of fun, and we had a lot of fun together. But the kids, once they got into it, they took off, and it's been so much fun mentoring them to get them set up and practicing. We practiced with pellet guns, shooting balloons and stuff like that. And, man, they were lethal. I don't think you guys missed a shot at the beginning. Mm -hmm. You all went like 10 for 10. It was yeah. incredible. You know, um, Jen, it's, it's uh, cool to hear your parents talk about, you know, your mom starting to hunt when you guys came around. And... Um, 
just so I give a chronological, so we've got David, he's the oldest, mm -hmm. and he's now in college uh, back in Nebraska, yep, correct? Yeah, nine, uh -huh, 19 years old. And he's also, he's also following in the footsteps of, of both of you guys in the medical, he wants to be in the medical profession at Creighton. And uh, we've got Timmy, mm -hmm. who is down at Brophy and playing football and and um, just a great kid. And then we have Jennifer, or excuse me, Jennifer is the middle yep, and yep. Timmy is the youngest. Mm -hmm. And Jennifer is at Notre Dame. Yes. And Jennifer likes to play tennis. Yeah. But she is also a huntress. Yes. Takes and up most of my time. <laughs> that's what's going to be so fun about this podcast is I've known you since you were literally this tall, it feels like. And to see... Mm -hmm you know, your own hunting career and the things that you've been able to accomplish is pretty amazing. I would ask you, Jennifer, at what point in time did you realize that hunting was something that you actually really enjoyed? Well, so I, I get that question a lot from my friends and stuff, and I grew up around it, so I've just kind of, it's always been like what I, what I knew. But then obviously kind of like my mom, like my brother started getting into it. It just became a big competition. And so... We all loved it, and, like, we'd go out with our dad, and we'd, like, be little kids, like, with our little Pelican under BB guns and, like, shooting squirrels and stuff. And I just, I don't know, I just kind of grew up around it, so I've always, like, loved it because it's just been what I do with my family. Yeah, and what's fun is I hear you say competition, and, and we had game night here at the Griego household, yeah. so I got to see the competition, and it's not a... It's not a competition like, oh, I want to, like, drive someone into the ground and beat them, although there may be some of that. <laughs> it's more of like a, a, the Griego family has a great uh, sense of uh, humor and great sense of r being able to rib each other and kind of who's on top tonight. And because tomorrow night you might be on the bottom, so it's kind of a pecking mm -hmm. order, isn't mm -hmm. there? Yeah, when I – one of the – we went shooting with one of our friends, and Timmy and I were both shooting at 1,300 yards. And Timmy, like – he he's we're all like great shots we're all my dad taught us very well and we're all really good shots and timmy just wasn't putting his body weight into the gun and so <clears throat> i shot i think twice and i got it and then he shot a couple more times and he finally once he put his weight in he got it but he oh like, he's a great shot and my older brother is too but if you miss that one time like oh you're never boy. gonna forget yeah it. for you sure put a shout out to patrick scroggins who got oh, yeah. you that gunworks rifle and taught you how to shoot long range and yes it was phenomenal unfortunately timmy wasn't paying attention didn't <laughs> didn't listen how to load the bipod and jennifer was just counting off his misses of course she had to hold 110 inches of wind it was really windy and 1300 yards is a long way but timmy finally got it figured out and got it on the next one but would you start calling him jennifer how many shots was it? Seven. Seven shot, Timmy. Yeah. I think you started calling him James Bond at 007. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, I always remember um, turkey hunting, and I mean, it seems like, I mean, I don't know, but it seems like at least five or six years, maybe more, that I've been up with you guys on the turkey hunt. And what's fun is, um, you know, you guys kind of all go your different directions with the guides and whatever, and it's fun when you get back at mm -hmm. night or, or after a morning mm -hmm. hunt to be like, who got the bird, who didn't, oh, yeah. who shot have, like, and missed. Who and, yeah. got it you know, first, who got yeah. the biggest. Yeah, I mean, We it, always have bets. Yeah, I never win. It's but. crazy how <laughs> yeah. um, fun it gets when the Griego clan is uh, counting birds and counting shots. and, mm -hmm. and um, Distance. I remember always telling the story, so we had to start the story as, okay, so there I was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yep. and then you start your story with how the turkey ran off or whatever. 
Um, that was so funny with that. I can't remember what it was. You guys would always have a story, and I'd say, no, 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 it's not a story unless you start out with. So, so there, there I was. was. Yeah, exactly. And it's the tradition has continued. And Jay caught on pretty quickly. I think it was the second year. Uh, Timmy or Jennifer started to say a story about their turkey hunt. And they forgot the intro, and Jay's like, wait a second, wait a second, this doesn't count. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> say, so there I was exactly, first. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, Bob and Carol, I, I do also commend you guys on the fact that it seems like from an outside party looking in, that you guys take time with each one of the children. Like I know, Bob, you go on a lot of the different trips with just one child, and mm -hmm. you go and do that event with that kid, and... There's all these adventures that you guys have shared as a family, you know, as a cumulative group. And then there is adventures that, you know, maybe just with Jen or just with Tim or just with David. Right. Um, talk a little bit about why that is um, trying to maybe have some isolated time with each individual kid. Started with David. You know, I, I coached the kids in little league and with their flag football and other school activities but you just get so much out of experiences with your kids in the outdoors that i really wanted to prioritize taking each kid on a hunt with me individually every year and i started with david he was five on a turkey hunt i had in arizona and you know those days are brutal you get up at three o'clock in the morning and you hunt um usually you get a break after the morning hunt but david didn't want to go back to our cabin in greer he wanted to stay out the whole day so we were hunting up near big lake and you know, he wouldn't take a nap. He didn't want to rest. He just wanted to shoot a turkey. And we were out until 10 o'clock at night by the time we got back to our cabin. And I said, Dad, why don't you just stay home tomorrow, bud? You're tired. You don't need to go with me. He's like, no, Dad, I want to go. And he was just hardcore. And we have had a bunch of different experiences. But that was his first one. And David's a tremendous hunter, just like all the kids are. But uh, he started it all off with his passion as a kid hunting with me. And then Jennifer, her first hunt, was um of her own was for deer on the ro with chad smith and she was 10 years old and we got her set up on a deer and we've been practicing with a pellet gun um and i had her set up on a tripod with um the gun claw which they call the triclops now and we, the deer kept moving but we had a whole parade of us i think there were six of us in a line there were so many of us it was my whole family um Chad Smith and his sons. There was, was, yeah, it was seven Chad of us? and Colton and and the five Griegos. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily, there was one deer that wasn't the smartest knife <laughs> or smartest uh, animal on the planet, and let us get within I think about a hundred yards. And mm -hmm. I had Jennifer set up on the tripod. The deer kept moving, and the first time she put her eye up to the scope, mm. she put her eyeball all the way up against against the scope. And I said, and my Jennifer, non dominant eye too. Yeah, I don't, didn't understand what you were doing. Dude, I don't but, know. <laughs> but I said, Jen, you can't do that. He's going to kick you and. But it took two or three more minutes for the deer to finally give us a position. And he finally, the deer behind him cleared, and Jennifer had a clear shot. I said, go ahead and shoot him, Jen. And she did, and the deer just immediately went down. I always had the kids shoot him high in the shoulder, and that deer didn't take a step. In fact, her first 10 animals, she shot with 10 shots, and not one of them yeah. took a step. But I went to give her a hug after she shot the deer, and she's got this goose egg in the corner of her eye, and there's blood running down her face. And I said... Jen, I'm so sorry, babe. Are you okay? And she's just so tough. She pointed at the deer and she said, that was awesome. <laughs> then she pointed at her forehead and she said, this really hurts, <laughs> but that was awesome. <laughs> she didn't that shed sums a tear it up or anything. Right there. Yeah, yeah. It did. And, you know, for the rest of the day, she's like, Dad, do you think I'll get a really nasty scar so people I really know I shot my deer? 
and, and I'm um, like, no, get the ice, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh. And that started her off, and, and you know, she, she didn't have any issues with flinching after that. It was just until, not until she shot at a range and got scoped that she started having trouble with that. Mm-hmm. But um, then the last one was Timmy, and I asked Timmy when he was seven, what do you want to do for your first hunt? And he said, I want to go to Africa, and I want to hunt lions. And I, I said, well, how about if we scale that back, buddy? Let's not do a 21-day, $100,000 safari in yeah. Africa. Anything else you'd like to do? And he said, uh, oh, I'd like to get an alligator. So I called a friend of mine in Orlando, um, Gustavo Arvello, and he recommended Hoppy Kempfer from Osceola Outfitters. And we booked it with Hoppy, and he was great. He was teasing Timmy from the time we got there. And Timmy got to where he was shooting little um, balloons from 40 yards like with a pellet balloons. gun, you know, like 8 out of 10 times. So he got a shot at an alligator that was swimming. So you can just shoot the top of their head mm-hmm. at uh, 40 yards. And he just he got behind that gun and shot that thing within like a second and just hammered it. And that got him the nickname Gator. So Timmy's been the Gator since then. But we do at least a couple trips a year with each kid. And the great fishing. Time. And, and the fishing. But yep. tremendous time to spend with your family. It's great. Yeah, I think the yeah. motto that our family really lives on is uh, work hard and play hard. And Bob's been the mentor for that, and the kids have followed suit because that's what life's all about. you got to work hard to play hard. So You guys definitely do that. It's just great one-on-one time. And so much of it, I know the hunting's great, but um, I'm not a parent, but I can I can assume that so much of the adventure is just the traveling and being mm-hmm. late for a flight or, yep. you know, mm-hmm. having the lady sit next to you on the plane and she's, you know, needs two seats or, you know, just yeah. stuff that right. you guys can laugh about and kind of bring back. And, and it's always fun hanging out with the Griegos because, you know, there's never a dull moment and there's always a great story. Um, and a lot of joking around. A lot, a lot of, of joking, <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, you can look around this trophy room, and, I mean, there's literally not an open space on the wall, and there's all sorts of animals. Um, the kids are filling it up, Jay. It's kind of yeah. a travesty. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, though, with all these trophies and everything on the wall, I think you guys as parents would trade every single one of them for your kids, for oh, sure. Oh, gosh, because, yes. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. you yeah. can tell that the Griego kids are very important to you guys. So that's awesome. Um Jennifer, you have completed the Grand Slam of Wild Sheep. Yeah, and that's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. That's such Woo, an awesome job, accomplishment. And actually even got one more sheep, so you actually <laughs> have five, which is unbelievable. But as well as that, you have been able to shoot most of the Arizona Big Ten. I mm-hmm. believe you're just lacking a couple of animals, mm-hmm. uh, mountain, mountain lion, lion, buffalo, uh, coos, and um oh wait yeah i got a sheep maybe three yeah Yeah. i think three so that's an amazing accomplishment in itself even even more amazing is the fact that jennifer you have cystic fibrosis Mm -hmm. would you tell me and the listeners that don't know what cystic fibrosis is tell people what cystic fibrosis is so cystic fibrosis is um it's a genetic disease so i was born with it and um it primarily affects my lungs, but it also affects my digestive system and things like that. So my body produces an abnormal amount of mucus, and so that affects my lungs, and it makes it easier to get infections, makes it harder to breathe, and it causes damage. And then in my digestive system, it makes it harder for my body to digest food and take in calories and things like that. So I have to do a lot of like breathing treatments and take a lot of medications to help like my body do what it, the mucus is preventing it to do. Okay. 
Carol and Bob, when when was the first time that you knew that Jen had cystic fibrosis? Um, being someone that's not very familiar with it, it's one of those things that, you know, there's so many questions I have, but, you know, at what point in time did you know that she had cystic fibrosis? And Jay, it's important you introduced me in my career, and Carol is a physician as well. She's a pediatrician, and she... We met at Arizona State. She went to medical school at the University of Arizona, and she did her pediatric training at Baylor in Houston. And unfortunately, she took care of a fair number of kids that had cystic fibrosis during her training, and she watched them battle their disease. So go ahead, babe. Yeah, so um, obviously it being in a pediatric uh, disease, um, that's something that you're trained as a physician to always rule out worst conditions first when you take care of children. Um, so when Bob and I... Um, decided to have children we had some challenges having kids um, and uh, finally um, when Jennifer when I was pregnant with Jennifer um, there was no CF in our family uh, it's an autosomal recessive disease so both mom and dad both have to be carriers um, so there was no incidence of any CF in either of our families and I have a pretty large family and one in uh, 30 people are carriers unknowingly carriers so you have no symptoms when you're a carrier so it's relatively common, but you have to have two carriers, obviously, to um, have the possibility of having a CF child. And um, when Jennifer was born, um, you know, she was perfect. Uh, and then the th for like a day, maybe a uh, couple hours. Yeah, she outgrew that perfection. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> it's not very nice. So we had David. He was a two-year-old. Bob was. Uh, we did not know what the gender was when we were when I was pregnant with Jennifer, and I wanted to remain it to be a you know a surprise for us. And it killed Bob because he really wanted to know. And um, so going into the delivery room, Bob was had seen in a previous ultrasound and thought, for sure, this is going to be a, another boy, which he would be perfectly fine with. So I, as we were draw, rolling into the, uh, to the OR, I had a C-section. I said, hey, Bob, we need to figure out a name because it was going to be Timothy. And I said, well, what about if it's a girl? He's like, it's not a girl, it's a boy. I'm like, okay, well, we need to decide just in case. And That's like, because the nurse practitioner during the ultrasound said it, whatever it was, 12 weeks, do you want to know the sex of the baby so I can see already? And they take, you know, in our training, we learn how to do a little bit of that. But she's moving the ultrasound around. I couldn't tell what she was looking at. But I figured since she was calling her at 12 weeks, it had to be a boy. Right. But obviously not. So uh, anyway, no. I said, well, we got to figure, literally rolling into the OR. I'm like, okay, if, if it's a girl, we'll be Jennifer, right? And Bob's like, yeah, whatever, whatever. I'm glad you cared, Dad. Thanks. <laughs> so, well, your uh, name was almost whatever. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, close. so anyway, when um, so Jennifer was born, um, and Bob was thrilled that it was a girl. And, uh, of course, I was thrilled. And I sent Bob home. Um, I said, you know, go home and be with David. Um and I had a worry at the beginning, almost within a couple hours of life, um, just because, um, you know, her belly looked a little bit big to me, even though I wasn't being a doctor, you know, holding my baby. Sure. I was uh, just um, enjoying and, and just being so grateful and blessed that we had another child. And um, But I um, had an odd feeling that her belly was just a little bit too big, and then she had thrown up once, and I thought, hmm. Again, it's okay, it's okay, I'm convincing myself that everything is going to be fine, and sent Bob home to be with David, and then I just watched the clock spin one hour after the other after the other, and she had an intestinal obstruction, which is not common, um, but um, worst case scenario is that it's going to be cystic fibrosis with a child, a newborn that has an obstru obstruction that hasn't pooped in the first 24 hours, mm -hmm. and it had been uh, 12 hours, 13 hours, 14 hours, and then I thought it's time that we rule that out. Um, so 
she was tested uh, with just figuring out what was wrong with her belly and um, the, it's, uh, she was flown to the children's hospital um, to get uh, attend to the intestinal obstruction that she had so by then still small possibility that it could be normal uh, just had trouble passing stool but in the back of my mind it was there but I never voiced it and never acknowledged it because I thought no reason to go there yet mm -hmm. um, but eventually, um, Jennifer needed surgery on day seven of life, and the other doctors were mentioning the possibility of this being cystic fibrosis. About 20% of newborns that have cystic fibrosis have intestinal obstruction, so it's not a common thing presenting a uh, symptom of newborns with cystic fibrosis. But as a pediatrician, that's one thing that you have to make sure that the kid doesn't have, or mm -hmm. if it does, you need to test it. Mm -hmm. So just a genetic test, um, and this is 19. 2001. The genetic test is just a buccal smear uh, and so those genetics take about a day and a half, two days to come back and by then um, she had had surgery and um, she had an uh, intestinal perforation so she had a little complication. She was a very very brave newborn. It was crazy and uh, so then the doctor came back and the results were positive that she did have cystic fibrosis and you know I just you know looked down and cried yeah. um and bob i never mentioned it to him before that and um i didn't want him to take away for the joy of having a new baby i mean sure. i i knew bringing up cf would take away all at least for me it was taking away all the great joy of having a baby because uh, i knew what her life would be like um even in 2001 uh, things were better than they were in the early 1990s when i trained but it's a long lifelong disease that doesn't go away there's no cure for it and it's a chronic progressive disease. And um, so it was a very rough go. And Jay, Jennifer was so tough. She was like two days old and they were drawing her blood. She was in the hospital for a month and the nurse is, is sticking a needle into her arm to draw her blood and Jennifer's just staring at her arm and staring at the nurse with this mean look. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's so young. I don't think that she even understands what's going on. But I was thinking, I hope nobody ever pisses that little girl off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's only 48 hours old and she's giving the death stare to yeah. this nurse. That's Note to brothers, her. don't mess yeah. with her. Exactly. <laughs> I guess my question is, how many people have cystic fibrosis, uh, you know, yeah. worldwide? or So in the U.S., we have 30,000 people with cystic fibrosis. Uh, worldwide, it's about almost 70,000. Okay. Um, and uh, basically the... The median life expectancy today is probably in the 30s. It's like uh, 45. Yeah. So um, it's going up. Every yeah. day. It's going up it's every awesome. day. And so so they're making great strides and great mm -hmm. great progress. Thank God. Um, basically, um, in the 1990s, if you had a teenager with cystic fibrosis, maybe they would go to college, but the majority of them would see the end of their life before they were 20. Um, but there's been a lot of progress by the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation that was started by a couple, three parents in 1955. They had children with CF and there was really no place for them to go to get support for each other. And there was clearly no science uh, behind it. Um, it was a genetic disease that people lived and died from. So really it took 50 years of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation raising funds and uh, putting all that money to the very valuable science that really led to the production of medications that for the first time in 30 years we've had a medication for cystic fibrosis that really identifies the problem and attacks the problem and that was just five years ago so 
for Jennifer to be born during this time, and anyone born with cystic fibrosis today has almost a more normal life, um, still, still have to have all the medications, but sure. their life expectancy is so far much better. That's uh, awesome. And Jennifer has been able to benefit from a lot of the clinical trials, and she's been very patient and um, really great about participating in them because they're a lot of time-consuming things to do, but um, she's um, benefiting right now from a, the third clinical trial that she's been on, and it's making tremendous strides uh, and making progress for her lungs that allows her to live the life that she wants to lead. Yeah, and that's what's so amazing to me is, you know, when, when I look at you, you're a perfectly normal, beautiful girl, and, you know, it's everyone that meets you, it's not like you can see cystic fibrosis and say, oh, she has cystic fibrosis. And what's so amazing to me is how ever since I've known you as a little girl going on all the hunts and going out and, you know, doing all the stuff and running around and playing mm -hmm. baseball out there with all the kids at the, at the turkey hunt and all mm -hmm. that, I mean, it just doesn't seem to slow you down. But on the same token what a lot of people don't see is you have to do a lot of things in order to be in your normal state that you're in, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, talk a little bit about, Jen, um, some of the trials, some of the challenges that you face on a day-to-day -day basis as far as your breathing treatments and some of the medication and all the stuff that you have to do. Yeah, so when my mom mentioned the clinical trials, and my mom is like the best mom ever. She is always there. She because she was yes. thanks mom. you Thank guys you. i mean you guys tackle this thing head on and i yeah. know it's awesome and my mom she like she quit being a doctor to help raise us and but she's basically a doctor because she's raising me and she's always like on her like on her computer whatever researching cf and whatever is going on and like clinical trials that are happening she's on the board of board of trustees mm -hmm. right for like the whole cf foundation mm -hmm. and so she's very very like if I could think of words, that'd be great. But she's very, very, like... Active. Yeah, Extremely thank you. awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, that's who. Thank you, uh, She's guys. really active in, like, everything and helping me. And she's always trying to help me in everything she can. So, like, without my mom, I would probably be really sick. And it'd probably be obvious that I had CF. But, yeah, my mom helps me a ton. And I do, um, uh, like, two to three best, like, vibrating treatments a day that help, like, move the mucus around in my lungs. Um, so, that, so that just shakes kind of mm -hmm. your core and it loosens things up? Yeah, so, well, the, my mom, of course, she got me on this new vest and it's wireless and so battery operated and it's just kind of, what is it kind of, it looks like, like a battery pack on my back and my friend, my brother say it looks like I have like a jet pack on. Okay. But so that vibrates my lungs and like my whole chest to help move the mucus around to help so I can cough it up. And then I do nebulizer treatments that helps to, um, like helps to loosen the mucus, helps me cough it up and then like antibiotics and things like that. And then I take or a lot of oral medications to help like my digestive system and antibiotics and things like that. And then I also do a tube feeding at night because, um, what? a tube feeding at night. Mm -hmm. So like, tell them about your G tube. Yes. It's a process people. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> I need like three times as many calories as a normal person because I burn a lot of calories mm -hmm. and I just also don't take in as much because my body like the nutrition doesn't get as much as I need. So I have a G-tube which is just like a tube in my stomach that I so throughout the night I formula which is like high, high fat high calorie and then that runs through my tube at night to help me get more calories and um, I do that about every night 
And I then I do boluses for extra supplements and mm. things like that. So eight. How many hours a night do you run? Oh, eight hours. I was like, 800 mils? <laughs> what? So Yeah, eight hours a night. And we'll get to the sheep hunts going out in the bush <laughs> without <laughs> having some of these things. And is I was it, on top is of that. a challenge, but I'm sure she was on top of that. Of course, for me. Well, months. that wasn't something that I was jumping for joy <laughs> this whole thing. And Bob told me this whole idea of her wanting to do this sheep hunt. I'm like, all right, well, wait a second. You know, we can get into all the details yeah, of that. That's, that's a whole nother thing. Subject. But Jen, what else do you want to? Are you finished with your treatments and your medications? Yeah. How much medications? For yeah. Oh yeah. So I take about thirty to forty pills a day. I try and cut it down because it's a lot to take. But um, I take every time I eat, I have to take um, enzymes that help digest my food, and um, I just take like a bunch of other like vitamins and things like that to help supplement my body doesn't produce. So it's very important. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's very important. From, an, from a health standpoint, that you stay as healthy as possible, mm -hmm. you stay as active as possible, yes. right? And you are greatly affected if your family gets a cold and mm -hmm. you get a cold much more than they are. In yeah. other words, your recovery time takes mm -hmm. a lot longer, mm -hmm. does it not? Yes, it does. Um, so I have to be very careful to not get sick uh, up until eighth grade. I was homeschooled till first grade. And then every flu season until eighth grade, I was homeschooled so that I didn't have a risk of getting sick. And then, um, and everyone, anyone in my family, if they get sick, I kind of stay away from them and like, they're kind of quarantined to their room mm -hmm. and <clears throat> things like that. I forgot the first part of what you said. No, but uh, I mean, just in general, you, you have to be very conscious mm -hmm. of your surroundings mm -hmm. and people that yeah. you come in contact with. And I'm sure you will have to wash your hands a lot mm -hmm. and do all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, a lot of, of sanitizer. And then in hospitals, I always wear a mask on airplanes. I wear a mask. And so just try and, like, keep the contamination to, like, as small as it can be mm -hmm. so I don't get sick. Because um, obviously it's harder to recover. And um, so my lungs, like, my body treats my lungs like it already has an infection, even if it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so my risk of getting infection is a lot higher. And when, if I, it, when and if I get sick, it just, my body is already fighting off, like, help trying to breathe. So getting sick on top of that makes it a lot harder. And so... I have to like my body has to work a lot harder to fight it off when you feel your best mm -hmm. whether it be just whenever you feel your best typically is there a time of year when you feel your best is there a time of year when maybe you don't feel your best from, um, from maybe a lung function standpoint or what what keeps you ticking good uh, it kind of fluctuates like to me I don't really notice that much when I'm sick because it happens unless it's like a drastic change then I notice but a lot of it is it slowly gets worse and so I don't notice it because it just happens like to me I don't really notice but they're like if my grandparents like I see them every couple of weeks or if I go to see them they can kind of tell when I'm sick because they see like oh I've lost weight mm. or I just look a little bit worse or I look more pale so they can kind of tell more than I can because it happens so slowly I barely notice but um yeah it sometimes it it can be like a drastic infection when I get really sick or sometimes it slowly happens and I don't really notice it. But if I get better, I can usually feel it. So I want to get into you were at the Wild Sheep Foundation convention mm -hmm. and I want to know what started your idea of wanting to tell your dad that you wanted to complete the Grand Slam of North American Wild Sheep. Hmm. 
and at what exact point was it that you said this is something that I want to do and it's something that I know I can tackle and this is what I want to do do you want to add something real quick dad you're writing notes before I answer the next question no no go ahead okay just make some notes just in Keep case you wanted to add paper. a little, well, <laughs> you know, because sometimes the time goes away and you're like, oh, I want to say it like in that moment. So, you yeah. know, I was giving you the option. Well, thank you, Jen. Oh, That's so kind of you. Hi, Jen. Thanks, guys. Oh, like who it. are you really? This I don't know. This is like, I'm just doing it for today's podcast, day, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So. You're still sedated from your wisdom tooth removal. Yeah, I, I will I add that uh, a few days ago, Jen was put under the knife and had all of her wisdom teeth pulled out. and. Yeah. Even at game night last night, you had gauze in. And yeah. One of the funnest, fun, funniest videos I've seen in a long time was Jen when she was still under uh, heavy, I don't know what it was, medication. It, it almost sounded like you were uh, on your 21st birthday. <laughs> <laughs> but at what point in time, take us back to the time when you decided that you wanted to pursue the Grand Slam of Sheep. Mm, so... Right before Sheep Show of 2017, I had just gotten, like, done, or I had just finished six months of IV therapy. So in the spring of 2016, I got really sick with an infection in my lungs, and I had to do IV therapy because that was the only thing that was going to get rid of it at that point. And I lost about 10 pounds over the summer in a matter of, like, two weeks, and I wasn't gaining it back. I had no appetite. I was nauseous almost every day for six months. And so I was really, really sick basically the whole first semester of freshman year, and I had a um, IV in my chest that I was doing IV therapies every day. Like, was it twice a day? Mm-hmm. And um, so that was rough, but I finally um, <laughs> tested negative for the bacteria that was in my, lung- in my lungs. And so in December, I got my IV out finally, and um, I was just getting back to myself in January at the Sheep Show. I had just started gaining weight back, and I was kind of starting to feel better. And a couple months earlier, I looked up the average lifespan of a CF person because I was just curious, and it was 37, and, like, February of 2016 was when, like, the website had last been updated. And so, like, growing up with this disease, I always knew that my life was being shortened, but I never, like, had a solid number until then. And so that, like, scared me and kind of freaked me out like it would anybody else when you have, like, a number actually put on your life. But I just kind of pushed it to the back of my, like, back of my mind and ignored it. And um, so at the Sheep Show, when Kirstie Ennis was talking about her um, trials, about her, her leg and everything and her life, um, it kind of just like hit me hard that I may not live long enough to do some of the things that I want to do. But if I do live long enough, I may not be healthy enough to do them. And so that really hit me emotionally and I started crying. And my like, no one really said anything there. Like they were, com- my parents were comforting me and stuff. But then at the hotel room that night, this w- this was at the convention. Mm-hmm. At the it dinner. was at the dinner. Okay, at, at, like during her speech, mm-hmm. and so <coughs> bandits having a dream over there. Bandits having a nightmare. <laughs> It'll go away. He'll do. Go ahead, babe. Okay. I'm going to take my jacket off real quick. No it's really sweat. hot. Like, in the hot seat, people look. <laughs> that was that one of the phrases last night that I was trying to say, and <laughs> no one got the it, so I had to skip it. <laughs> On the J. Scott hot seat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, so, yeah, the sh- um, that night after dinner, we were back in a hotel room, and my I was talking to my dad, and he was like, so, like, what happened? And I was explaining, like, how I felt, and he was like, well, do you want to go sheep hunting? And I said, well, that's impossible. Well, I think it came out. You said there were some of the things that you didn't, you didn't think that you yeah, would be able to do. And I mm-hmm. said, well, what do you want to do? And you said, well, I'd like to go camping or sheep hunting, but I could never do that. Yeah. And what did I tell you? 
And my dad told me, well, you can do whatever you put your mind to, and I'll help you do it. And I was like, okay, like, let's do it. And so and I... Excuse me, Jay, you'd love to see the little kind of grin she got when I said, well, Jennifer, <laughs> I don't know what you want to do, but, you know, whatever you want to do, I'll, I'll back you on it and help you do it. But I don't think anybody with cystic fibrosis has ever gotten all four North American wild sheep. And she's got this kind of smile on her face and started nodding her head. Oh, and she yeah. Goes, I want to be the first one. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of where it all started. My dad helped me, and... Um, so we got back that Sunday and we were, my dad was like, all right, let's go hike the mountain. And that sucked because I was not in shape at all. I had just finished my IV therapies and my lung function was about 53, 52%. And so, um, I was hiking that mountain and I like could barely get up it. I was coughing. I felt like I was going to cough up a lung. Like it was a struggle to get up there. And then after about six months, well, so my dad was able to like, get the hunt for me to go on my doll sheep my doll sheep hunt with Raven's Throw Outfitters in. Um, well, what, what was my deal with you what about the? Yep. When you oh yeah, what, hold on. So he said that, um, like he would back me on it as long as I was doing it for myself and I wasn't doing it for everybody else. And so I was like, all right, like I want to do it. My oh oh that deal, <laughs> right? I knew that. Took a second. So my dad he kind of messed up his knee hiking on a bunch and training for a bunch of hunts. And so his deal was, the deal he was talking about, was he would get his knee redone, and then we would both train together for the hunt. So he got partial knee replacement and in Feb, March. February of, what, 2016? 2017. 2017. So, yeah, you, my deal was you get your lungs in shape, I'll get my knee in shape, we'll do it together. So our hikes were painful for both of us. Oh, it was a struggle. So that that's one question I would have, and, and we'll keep going into the story, but... So it's one thing to sit and mentally say, this is something I want to do. But you came back in the first hike. It was like, oh, dear, what have I done? Did kind you of, have a yeah. sense of like, oh, mm -hmm. this is going to be tough? Mm -hmm, I did. But luckily, since I had just been sick, I was kind of like, okay, well, I'm recovering. So if, if I had just been like, if that was my baseline and I had started there, it probably would have hit me harder mentally. Like, oh, crap, like this is not going to be possible. But since I was recovering, I was like, all right, you know, I'm starting from the bottom. Like, let's work to the top. And so my dad, like, got his knee done. We were training and working hard for about six months before that mountain hunt. That's awesome. And what was so great, Jay, was I didn't have to be kicking her in the butt to get her to do it. Because she had told people, she had told our good friends, and Jen, you'll need to talk more about Young Wild TV and oh, yeah, Lincoln homies. Tap and Jim Tap and Cooper Ross. And those guys have just been phenomenal documenting this. But they, once, you know, we're friends with Lincoln and, and Jim. And once they heard about it, they were in. They wanted to document it. So then it was, she'd sort of written a check that she had to back it up. And I wasn't having to kick her to get her up the mountain. She know that, knew that she had an obligation. She'd committed and she wanted to prove she could do it. So it was nice. Mm -hmm. It's great as a parent when you don't have to keep telling your kids what to do when they're self-motivated to do it. Yeah, so what, I'm talking about the taps now. Should I do that? So. Or uh, Jake can ask a question. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So here you are, you're beginning your training, and you've got your first doll sheep set up. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got the doll sheep set up first. Yes. And then at what point in time, how did it all start to fall into place as to setting up all four? And did you know going into the doll sheep hunt that like number two was set up, or was it a deal of let's get the doll first and then we'll... You know, how did those dominoes fall into place? It was kind of like in... First, like, if I can interrupt yeah, for a second. Even see. just setting up the first hunt was um, 
challenging and realizing physically how was she going to manage sure. all those things. And you're probably going, what? what yeah, are we doing? I was like, you guys are like 10 days in the back country? Yeah, are like, you kidding me? Hold back. What are we doing here? What's the detail? Right, because we have no power, right? right? So yeah. breathing treatments, those things are not going to happen. Right. And, and I so you're to like, know, like, where is the nearest hospital? Um, um, not a clinic. It needed to be. And was there going to be some emergency medical services available right. to them? So obviously we were up to date on our global rescue um, uh, membership and <clears throat> and Raven uh, Raven's Throat Raven's Outfitters throat. were awesome. I told them in advance. I said, okay, um, first of all, Jennifer has a lot of equipment uh, that she needs to bring, so weight's going to be an issue. So we're going to be able to put everything to where it's going to fit in the helicopter. But these are things that must be with her, and that um, you know, making sure communications w- were great. So like, if anything happens, that they would be able to no- notify Raven's Throat uh, at base camp, and then. To get a helicopter out right. to a facility. Because here's my baby get. on the side of the yes. mountain. And yes. yeah, mama bear's not going to yes. let them. Yeah. And, and Carol was great about finding all the battery operated nebulizers for breathing treatments and vests. And we didn't have a vest at that point. Nope. So we had to do it by yeah. hand. But Carol did a tremendous amount of research and had all this stuff scheduled and packed for us to go. And fortunately, Jennifer weighs about 30 pounds. So <laughs> when we have 100 pounds worth of medical gear to take, it wasn't... That wasn't too onerous to get on the plane. And Grizz and Ginger Turner, they were awesome with helping us with that and very, very lax about requirements mm-hmm. for what she could take. So. And not only that, the actual medication, the actual pills that she probably had to take or what, like a sandwich bag per day or what? I oh. had a pill a pill box. It was a two-week pill box. It was a big gallon bag. Yeah, it was like a di- it was It didn't even fit in Ziploc gallon bags. I had to get like one of the bigger ones you feel like put clothes in. Like it was a big one. Unreal. And yeah. then everything, those were her maintenance meds and then there was always the as-needed meds. Yeah, there was like a gallon bag things. of like, if this goes wrong, take this. Like, and the, Luckily, I had my dad who knows yeah. what the pills are actually for. Yeah. So I was like, all right, if <laughs> just like give dad the bag and if you need anything, we'll give it to you. Yeah, I and mean, thank God, you know, obviously I wouldn't have let Jennifer go without Bob, of course, knowing what to do and, and having to do her manual chest PT and, and all that. And I just had to, like, just remind them, just remember when you're on a long hunt or a long stock, just she you know, still needs to have that because I'm all about keeping everything at a Consistent. regular. Yeah, mm-hmm. everything. I don't want things bad to happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Bob knew well in advance the things that she normally does. And if she has issues, you know, with bellyache, which happened on the first hunt, mm-hmm. Um, you need to act right away. Um, Jen likes to think that, oh, it'll, it'll go away. It's just a transient thing. And, you know, it's, you have to be somewhat proactive at the first sign of any Stay kind way of out in front of it. Way mm-hmm. out, especially yeah. when you're in the middle of nowhere. And when I let the doctor know, we wanted to kind of get her lungs checked just like the week or two before her. She it was, was the day leaving. before I left. And I just kind of had to let the doctor know. And obviously, she trusted that the parents, Bob and I, would be not putting her in arms' way. My Mm -hmm. doctor was like, what are you thinking? Yeah, so I said, this is what's happening. This is where she's going, you know, just to kind of make sure that I'm not crazy. You know, you know, you're okay with this? And she's like, well, it's all about, you know, living life to the fullest. And we're never guaranteed tomorrow, none of us. So that was, you know, obviously a lesson we've learned, Bob and I have, raising our children. It's really been... They're really the blessing in disguise for that because life is truly sweet um, no matter what you have going on with you, whether our siblings and our children. Um, it's, it's, that's been a great lesson. One of the things as an observer of the Griego family that you know, I value so much just from knowing you guys is the fact that obviously, Bob, you've done very well in your 
professional practice and um but you know the kids drive old cars you know and um you know they could probably have everything that money could buy and it's very obvious that I mean, they're taken care of, but they have to work for their things and they mm -hmm. have to perform and, mm -hmm. and do certain things. And I think that'll just make them in life be more productive people. Right. And mm -hmm. if it was just given to them, it's very obvious that everything in this house is, it's not given, it's earned. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, thanks, and Janet. It's Carol and I share that same, we share that priority and we've talked about it before we had kids and we want to give our kids enough to do something, but not enough to do nothing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we've told them we'll give you stuff to help with opportunities, but our deal with cars is they get a job and they save money and I'll match it and then they mm -hmm. can buy a vehicle and, you know, it's, it gives them motivation to have skin in the game, I think. I think it's yeah. important. But, I mean, even like the car you drive, I mean, I, I, I think it's a second car. second or third generation. I think your dad yeah. drove it. Yeah, my dad drove it and then David. David and drove oh, it. it's my favorite. I love it. It's yeah. a, like, 98 Forerunner and it's my favorite. Yeah. And, so like, obviously going to, like, a nice, like, private Catholic school, my friends get the nicest cars and, like, brand new cars, and they'll total their cars and then get another brand new car, and it's, like, they don't respect it at all. And, like, that little car, even though it's gone through a bunch of people, it's still, like, I love that car. And even as a kid, we had to save up and buy our own, um, what do we, a Wii. When we wanted, mm -hmm. we save up and bought our own bikes, and it sucked in the moment. It was like, Mom, can you just, like, buy it for me, please? Yeah. But, like... And we went on a trip to Hawaii. My brother and I, we, like, saved up and bought our own iPads. So we could watch movies on the flight there. And so, like, obviously it sucked in the moment. Because I was like, I just, like, can you guys just get it for me? But you learn a lot having to, like, pay for your own things. And the respect, like, once you give that thing because you bought it, it was your money. Like, the respect you have for that is far much more than you would if someone gave it to you. Yeah, and you value it more because you mm -hmm. know that you had to save for it. And sure, mom and dad could just put it on a credit card. And they probably wouldn't even know it was there. But the fact that you have to earn things in life and nothing in life is free it's uh, very evident to me um that that's you know it comes from the top down you guys mm -hmm. i can just tell you guys teach that um mm -hmm. so here we are we're training for the first doll mm -hmm. sheep hunt and we're in arizona yes it's hotter than blazes mm -hmm. yeah it started slowly getting harder and i was like this is terrible and, and i had tennis season so i like it, tennis season was during the midst of all of this and so I would have practice um, two, two and a half hours and then matches that were like maybe three hours and including the drives and everything. So I didn't have like that much time to work out. So I work out on weekends with my dad and stuff. And then the right when season ended and school got out, it was like, all right, we've got to kick it into gear. We got a couple months. And so we really kicked it in after school got out. And where did you train there? Then we went to our cabin in northern Arizona in Greer and we trained at around like 8,000 feet to 11,000 feet hiking. A bunch and so by the end of it i was able to hike um from elevations going from like 900 to 1100 with <clears throat> uh, minimal coughing which was crazy compared to how i started and tell jay excuse me what what happened to your lung function after that oh so it went from around 52 to around 65 yeah and so that number of 52 to 65 that's a 13 percent increase mm -hmm talk about that number of 52 or 65 is that as simple as say my lung function would be 100 and yours would be 65 at your best mm -hmm. is that is that mm -hmm. yes so roughly like obviously everyone's lung function is different but or a normal lungs would probably be around 100 percent and so my lungs at that like even kind of well not really now but at that time the, my baseline was around 65 and so the 50s were low because i just had my infection but still going from 52 to 
to 65, that 13% jump in six months without added like antibiotics and things like that. Usually it would take me around maybe like almost two years to recover that much, but doing that in six months was crazy. So, I mean, that's just right there from someone like me, just looking at it as a third party, that added exercise and Mm -hmm. lung work every day, I would assume consistent Mm -hmm. cardio helped Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. And a lot of people like, I kind of use it to my advantage sometimes, but they think because I have CF, it's like, keep it low, keep your exercise to a minimum. So you don't like push yourself too hard. But the more I push myself, then the better I'll get. Even though I struggle in the moment, it's better in the long term because like I push myself farther. It's kind of like when you're working out, like you push yourself harder so you can get better and get stronger. So that's how it has to be with my lungs. I have to push myself harder to get better. With your lungs. So in other words, it would be in essence, like if I were really sick and say had the flu or pneumonia or something mm-hmm. where I couldn't breathe and I was hacking up loogies and mm-hmm. and then I went and tried to hike, yeah. right? So I couldn't get oxygen yeah. in on a normal every day. That's what you deal with every day. In other words, you yeah. feel short of breath. Mm-hmm. That's the challenge you face when you exercise is you, you fatigue quicker, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people, obviously, I don't know because I've grown up with these lungs and not, like I said, everything happens slowly. So I don't really notice the significant difference. But to me, like, these are my lungs and this is how I breathe. But um, they kind of, like, doctors and stuff, you compare CF lungs to, like, a regular person trying to breathe through a straw. Okay. So, to me, I'm, like, taking my deepest breath and that's my deepest breath. But if you were breathing in my lungs, you'd be like, this sucks. Like, this is not my normal breath. Right. So, you're training and then the first hunt at Raven's Throat comes up Mm -hmm. and you and your dad head off to the Northwest Territories in Canada. So, Mm -hmm. I assume you flew through Edmonton and then up through... Yeah, um, yeah, we went to Whitehorse the first time. Whitehorse, okay. Yeah, and And then we flew up there. Walk us through um, that hunt and how did it go? So the, well, like the medicine process going up to that hunt, I had a giant suitcase. It was like a pharmacy on wheels. I had like everything I could ever possibly imagine. And then a little bit less because I couldn't bring everything. So going up there, I had a lot of things to bring, obviously. And then when we landed at base camp, we had to drop half our stuff and go to spike camp. And so. Why don't you <laughs> mention real quick when we first got to Whitehorse and Jim and Lincoln and Cooper oh, met us and. We didn't know they were going to go. Uh, Jim didn't say for sure that they were going to go on the hunts. He said at the banquet that they would like to do it, and then there wasn't a lot of communication, and they called us a week before and said, we're going to be there. You know, we're excited. We get to the hotel. They meet us to help carry in our bags. Mm-hmm. The heckling started immediately. Oh, it was so much fun. <laughs> and Jennifer ha- had been good friends with Lincoln off of social media for a while, mm-hmm. but just their sense of humor and everything, and Cooper – What's Cooper, 6'9", with the Afro 714? Yeah, he's 6'9". Exactly. Yeah. And he's so funny, but we had so much fun. The first day we met them, they were like, this is going to be a tremendous experience. Just the joy of, you know, people ribbing each other. And they were just there to help out and get it on video. So Jennifer and Lincoln and Jim and Cooper and I just, from from the hotel on, it was just um, teasing and joking and yeah. motivational stuff. So And it was it was a lot of fun because obviously Lincoln had gotten his Grand Slam when he was like, I don't know, like 12 or 13, I think he finished his. And so he kept asking me and his dad and Cooper, everyone was asking me like, all right, you ready? Like, can you believe this? I was like, um, no, <laughs> like in my head, I'm still at home on my bed, but like I'm here and it was slowly getting closer. And I was like, this is insane. So every step of the way, they'd be like, are right, you ready? Like, can you believe this? I was like, no, like this is still seems like it's crazy 
So we flew into base camp and just like landing on the lake and that float plane, I was like, this is insane. Like it was so cool just to be able to see that and to like to fly in and see you're surrounded by nothing but mountains and animals and wilderness. It's overwhelming, isn't it's it? It's insane. Yeah. And it was scary. I was like, Yeah. Like was, what have I done? Yeah. Like what am I gonna try and do? Like yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And flying so I'm in 45 and I had those same feelings yeah. this last summer when I did it I was like okay. and seeing those mountains when you're flying it's, in, it's like you're kidding me like I have to go hike that in a couple like couple days so it was it was really kind of freaky and I'll give you a second here to put it on so it was really freaky but also really cool to see what I was flying into and so we landed um at base camp and met up with all the guides and Grace and Ginger and it was so cool everyone was so so excited and we met everyone, got everything, and, like, got set up and dropped our stuff. And so, what, I had to go to, like, two duffel bags, I think. So, I had to leave my machine, my vest that I had for what was I, 15 years that I, oops, 15 years that I hadn't gone a day without. So, that was really, like, really scary. It was like, I may be on the mountain for 10 days without this machine that I've had every day of my life. So, that was kind of scary to drop that and leave that at camp, but... Um, obviously I had prepared for that for months, so I was scared to do it, but get ready. And my dad would be there to help do my PT and stuff, help me through it. So I packed everything in my bags and then we ate lunch, shot the guns and packed up the helicopter. And I was like, this is insane. And it was such a neat atmosphere, Jay, because, uh, Grizz and Ginger Turner had just bought Redstone Outfitters and it had just become Raven's Throat. They'd just taken it over. And Carol happened to have hunted with Grizz when she was hunting with Stan Simpson and got her doll sheep uh, two years before. But they were so excited for Jennifer to be there, and she was on the first hunt, their first hunt of their whole concession, and it was just really neat. They were very, very supportive and excited for her. So the whole atmosphere was kind of magical that mm-hmm. that um, she was doing it and everybody was so so behind her. That was awesome. That's awesome. So when you line up on your very first sheep i know how i was yeah it was it was pretty rattling to me how how did you handle it or how how did it go for you so well we got into that spike camp we were kind of like in a in a valley and um so we had mountains on both sides of us and it was we were kind of lower so it was cool to be like right by the river and it was really green it was because i'd never been in anything like that before so it was really awesome to be down there and so I had my first mountain house and everything. I slept in a tent the first night, and so that was awesome. The, this, the whole experience was great. And um, the next morning, um, the guides had spotted some rams up on the side of the mountain. And so we had we were looking at them for a while and wanted to see, like, if they were legal, and then they were. And we were like, okay, like, let's go after them. But we had to wait a little bit to see what they were going to do. And so once we figured out what our plan was, we – packed up and um well I did my meds while we were waiting so I did everything and then we packed up and got up the mountain and it was crazy to start from there so we like went across the river I got carried across the river and then we um (laughs) hiked up the mountain and when we got set up it was around 600 yards so to practice for the hunt I shot around at around 400 yards and before the hunt I was really really flinchy and really really gun shy because I'd gotten hit before and so scope. Mm-hmm, I got scope cut on my first deer hunt, but I shot a deer, so I really did not care. And then I got hit again when I was um, shooting my new gun that I had just got, and the scope was a little bit too far back. So when that hit me the second time, it freaked me out because I was in a range, and mm-hmm. it didn't cut me. It wasn't as bad as the first one, but it just mentally really messed me up. Mm-hmm. So ever since then, um, I had been really, like, in my head about it and really flinchy. And so when I told my, my dad and I decided to go on this hunt, 
he was like, okay, we got to fix it. Mm -hmm. So I dry fired for months and months and we shot at our cabin around 400 yards. So I was dialed in. I wasn't flinching anymore and I was really confident in my shots. So Talk about, my dad talk about your dry firing. It was like oh, it was thousands of rounds with me sitting there videoing her with the camera, putting on her pressure to, to dry yeah. fire and not flinch. So simulating the exact, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. you're trying to simulate is the exact experience. Yeah, yeah. with just uh, a snap cap in mm -hmm. there. And, but she'd pull her head up. And I said, Jen, here's the video. You're pull the video, you're pulling your head up. And she's like, why are you putting me under so much pressure? And I said, because you're going to be under pressure when you're shooting yeah. for real. So just get past it and she got to where she was so just then i got to where i wasn't that. even blinking anymore and so after thousands of rounds of dry firing i was finally i was finally confident in my shots and then i was constant confident with like live rounds and everything so i was like okay but i'd only practiced 400 yards and mike whalen made this gun for me it's a six fixed it's a six five creedmoor and i was and he said it shoots around 600 yards i was like okay sounds good I practiced at 400 and then we were on the mountain and they ranged them at like 630 or something and i was like okay like i'll shoot and in my head, I didn't say that, but I was like, okay, he said it's just around 600. I'd never shot that far, but like, sounds good. And they're like, okay, let's get closer. So I was like ready to shoot at six, like 630 or whatever, even though I was never going to shoot that far. Um, but we hiked in and got as close as we could. And I shot kind of across a little like ravine. Can, can you tell about how long you laid there? It was a lot oh, of pressure yeah. on you. Well, that was, we, we moved up more. But that ram oh, yeah, that went set in up. a position where he could go around the corner. We wouldn't be able to see him. We'd have to drop all the way down the mountain and get back to him. Or if he went the right way, he would give her a shot as close as 400. And we laid on the mountain in yeah, that so cold shale for an hour, I think. Mm -hmm. Was it raining? It was it misting. Yeah, yeah, it missed it a little bit. And then it kind of, like, God was on that mountain incredibly. Like, hiking up there, I felt like I could actually breathe normally. It was insane. And then... You could see, obviously, when you're up there, you can see crazy far. And so we could see kind of the clouds coming in. We were like, oh, crap, this may not end well. But then it kind of, like, blew away, and it was, like, missed us a little bit. And it was like, dang. So God was definitely on there and blessed me greatly with all of these hunts. Um, but Jay, Jay, it was unbelievable to see that. there was The clouds would be coming right at us, pouring rain, and it would just kind of separate around her. And, um, and then her shot and everything else, it was just a total gift. It was amazing. And so on the mountain, we I was laying prone, and then um, – I was like on the shale, which I heard about the shale before. My dad's like, all right, the shale's going to suck. It did suck. Mm -hmm. I hate hiking in shale. But mm -hmm. so I was laying on there. I was like on my pack and my ram had laid down. And so um, I had him in, in my scope and obviously it's a white dot. So it was really nice because I could see it. Mm -hmm. And um, my dad was like, all right, when he stands up, you need to shoot. So I was, I was on, I was behind my gun and I was just laying there. I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. And cause we didn't know. Were you dry firing at all? Mm -mm. No. Okay. No. And, um. So I knew, like, when he stood up, because if he went one way, we'd have to go hike around the mountain again. So I was like, all right, when he stands up, I'm shooting him. So he finally gets up. I was like, okay. And so then I shot, and it was like, oh, my gosh. I was, I was, I, I didn't really freak out, but I was like, this is insane. And he kind of went up and had to shoot him like, a couple more times. And um, so then he, like, went back behind this kind of cliff thing, and so we couldn't see him anymore. I'm like, okay, well, I know I made, like, I know I shot him, and I know I hit him good. So we had to hike down and around. How long did that take? Like maybe an hour? Yeah, it was really steep, and we had to go kind of a ways around a ravine to get there. Yeah, we had to go like back down and then back up the shale, and I was like, so we finally hiked across, and um, yeah, so then we uh, kind of walked around. He Where he had gone down was kind of this kind of cliff face, but it was kind of like steps. It's kind of hard to explain, but he was behind one of those, so we couldn't see him, and then we turned the corner, and he was there, and then he rolled down, and it was like, 
<laughs> like was, he went just rolling mm-hmm. by you almost yeah i was like whoa and it was insane just to see him roll down and i was kind of like well we just hiked all the way up here and now he's all the way down there but it was insane and it another gift jay headed right towards camp yeah perfect right downhill mm-hmm. yeah. and it was it was impressive though he went off a cliff on the way down you know he was dead at that point and just flipped and it was pretty impressive but it was unreal i saw mine they said that they thought it like rolled like 800 feet Whoa. so yeah. i mean yeah, i know the feeling it's just that. going like, like <laughs> well i hope he has horns when he gets <laughs> yeah, to the bottom exactly. it was exactly and then so we kind of stopped at the top and um there were guys still at our camp because we sh- i shot him um you could still see our camp from where we were so we kind of flagged the guys up to us and i remember i stopped and i still had my almonds from the plane ride it's like two days before and so we stopped my rain gear on and it was just starting to rain a little bit and so i ate my almonds and then everyone was up there like all right let's go so we went down the shale and going down shale is so much more fun than going up shale it was like skiing, it's like skiing yeah. It? yeah it was like skiing it was so much fun except going up it was terrible yeah. but going down was every so much step fun. you take up then you're down and you mm-hmm. just, yeah. it's like you never gain yeah. any distance That's right yeah. but going down is like skiing Dream, so yeah. that was so much fun and i was got down there pretty fast and it was like crazy just he was laying there and i was like this is insane so i grabbed went up and grabbed him and looked at him it was amazing it was unbelievable and tell him what uh, your guide told you after you shot your ram that grizz had said oh yeah so grizz um since they had just gotten the camp like nothing was really named yet and so grizz told me like wherever you shoot your ram we're gonna name it after you so we I shot him kind of in that valley, and so now it's Jen's Valley at camp. That's awesome. That's really that cool. is awesome. So, were you able to get on the sat phone and call mom? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, what do you think, Carol? I was um. Well, first of all, it was day one. Yeah. Or day two. It was uh, day one. Yeah. No, they got. And so and you're I, thinking. Oh right my on. God. It's I'm, not day ten or exactly. twelve. Or right. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was wishful thinking, but I thought, thank the Lord, because yeah. I was like, this could not have gone any better. I was just, it was almost too too good to be true i was like this is unbelievable uh but they did practice for everything and anything that could happen Mm -hmm. so that was great preparation um and patience and it all came together and it was i was just so relieved and i thought okay great now they can enjoy Mm -hmm. and you know and me i could now they just need to get home and and i'm just so grateful that everything went well and and to even get the shot off and to come back with the animal what a great um, journey for Jennifer, just this Absolutely. first one, and for everyone to celebrate, just being there, yeah. whether you get the animal or not, wasn't even the issue. It was like I'm going to go after this challenge, and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But yeah. it was a really wonderful thing to to witness and to be uh, on the outside of, and having Bob be the driving force of making this happen for Jennifer it was just like so wonderful mm-hmm. to be, you know, having her dad just carry her. Mm-hmm motivate her prepare her it was just just wonderful and it's just it was a great great team effort so that was in the northwest territories mm-hmm. you've got one down yeah can, can you tell you i think you're going to mention before some of the hardships do you want to tell them about the night yeah. you got your ram it's so one of the scariest things oh, you had health-wise so obviously like that day was amazing and it felt like i didn't have like cf that day it was such a great day and that night we cooked um the back shops on a stick which was like the best meal ever like mountain house and then back shops on a stick mm-hmm. it was so good and but then that night since i never had mountain house before and never had that dehydrated food like that i wasn't prepared for 
so much sodium in my body my i got a really bad obstruction and so that night in the tent i barely slept at all i had some of the worst stomach cramps i've ever had and so i had things to take care of that so i did and um luckily we got back to camp i think we got fogged in the next day so we got back in like a day or two later and once i had like normal food again it went back to normal but that one night in camp was insane i had terrible cramps and things sure, like and that. horrible pain it, it sounded like you know, one of the things she can struggle with is intestinal obstruction that requires surgery to get her past it. So she drank a lot of hydrate and recover from Wonder wilderness athlete athletes. and water and, and just tried to get hydrated again that night. But it was as miserable as I'd seen her. I mean, her stomach almost looked like she had appendicitis, but she wow. doesn't have an appendix. It was taken out when she was an infant, but it was scary. And you're thinking we're in the middle of nowhere. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Jennifer used, you know, bolus with Miralax, which is a common uh, medication used for anyone who has constipation or things right. like that but she uses quite a lot of that and just tremendous amount of volume in her in her g-tube just mm. to kind of because you really couldn't drink enough sure. fluids to to be able to pass that so if you get on top of it early it can it can work out um, but being in elevation and the different diet sure. um, thank goodness it all resolved within another day so that was uh that was scary. And luckily, like, I trained in around 8,000 feet elevation. So, and the, um, huh, the elevation where I were was, like, four or 5,000 yeah. feet. So that was a shock for me, but it was really nice because I trained in a lot higher than I was hiking in. Since then, since you know you have some trouble with Mountain House, have you found any other dehydrated meals that work better with your system? Or how do you... I just, um, since <clears throat> I knew that was going to happen, I just prepared for it more. So I just hydrated myself better. And it was just, like, because it was dehydrated and the sodium level was really high. So mm -hmm. I just prepared myself more and drank a lot more water with it and bolused more things so that I could prevent it from happening again. And it didn't, so that was good. Okay. And most of those, I researched how other dehydrated foods and what was a better brand, and they're also similar in mm -hmm. the sodium content that it was like, okay, it's dehydrated. So, right. so obviously she's going to have to, you know, whatever the envelope requires to add water, she's going to have to add more water. Right. And then I just drank you know, a bunch on top of it. And then followed every meal with Make a lot like more again. <laughs> water. So that was uh, something I didn't forecast as sure. being an issue. Um, but I'm glad that that was discovered early yeah. so that now she, for any future hunts, she was prepared and knew how to handle it. Sure, sure. So the Northwest Territory hunt's down. Yes. Then what was next, and how did that come about? So, okay, so I know you asked earlier, like, if we planned the hunts before. So my dad was, like, in charge of all of that. So the, the second hunt, well, the second person I contacted was Neil Lawson about hunting the Turner Ranch, the Armanderas for Desert Sheep. And he was great to us, and we got that booked. And I think you or, or Brian Rimza gave me Brendan Burns' information, and I talked to him about um, Rocky Mountain Sheep. And his recommendation with uh, what he knew was going on in North Dakota, I bought that tag for Jennifer for her bighorn, and that was her second hunt. So, yeah, by when did it, we have all the hunts booked? By when, probably? Well, we didn't figure out what we were going to do for a stone until y you were done with the three. Yeah, but, I mean, the <coughs> first three for that year. It was all in that year, though, right? You did yeah, you I did the first three in that year. By, like, when were they all booked? By March, April? Probably, yeah, I think so. Yeah. But March, this April. was in, like, July, right? Mm -hmm, July, and then the very next doll. one was the... Um, First weekend Bighorn. of November was in North Dakota. It was freezing. Was it cold? <laughs> so cold. That was one question I was going to ask you. So 
Does cold affect your mm-hmm. lungs and breathing? You're much better off in a warm yes. climate than in cold temperatures. Mm-hmm. And the cold temperatures, I have this face mask. Well, on that hunt, actually. So it was really cold and the cold air like constricts my um, airway. So it makes it harder to breathe. So I have this face mask that warms the air as I inhale and exhale. So that helps a lot, except when we were hiking, the like hole in the face mask is so small, I could barely get any breath, like any breaths in. So sure. I was like, okay. So I ripped it off, and then um, Jim Tap was like, "Are you going to be okay?" I was like, at this point, it's either don't get enough air or get really cold air. I'm like, I'm gonna go with the cold air. So I took it off and was hiking around with that. So the cold air does make a significant difference. It like makes it harder to breathe, but if I'm hiking around, then it I'll, my body's warm anyway. So then it doesn't have that much of an effect as if I was standing there in the cold air. Okay. So you're in North Dakota and you're lined up on the second ram. So that ram, we were, they thought that was going to be like the state record ram. And they had eyes on that since it was born because it came from the breaks. Missouri, Missouri, Missouri breaks. breaks. Montana. Yeah. yeah so the, that ram had been through a bunch, kind of like me. It's kind of like my soulmate in a ram. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, had been through much pneumonia and his brother died from pneumonia. And so things like that. So when you could, when you looked at the horns, you could tell like when he was sick and stuff, which was pretty cool. So, that ram had a great story, and um, we didn't know a lot of that stuff until yeah. you harvested the ram. Mm-hmm. The the wild like the biologist told us these stories, and so he had his eyes on him, and a bunch of other people had been trying to get that ram, and so luckily we had gotten permission to go on some private land to look for the ram, and so my dad got there a couple of days before I did because I had school, and so I met him up there, and he was like, "Okay, we spotted the ram today." And we kind of knew where he was, so we went up there the next day, and he kind of would show up and then go away, and he kind of disappeared a bunch. So For years, Jay, that ram had been hunted by auction hunters, and no one had been able to find him. And um, the day before I was going to go pick up Jennifer and Lincoln, Jim and Cooper at the airport, I saw a ram go over a ridge probably two miles away. I was looking through my spotting scope, and I knew it had to be him. He was just so much bigger than the other rams around there. But he was on a piece of private, and I think he'd been on that every year during hunting season that's why i got so big but we were able to get permission to go there and that's where we went the first day of the hunt mm-hmm. and we kind of saw him but everyone was kind of scattered and so we weren't all together and he would pop up for a little bit then he'd be gone so like oh so they'd be like oh we missed him and so it was the second day um we had split up and jim and lincoln were going to go down um we were kind of at like the top of this like ridge thing and they were going to go down at the bottom and see if they could see anything. And then we were at the top and right as we were going to drive off to go somewhere else, um, one of the guys with us looked over and he was like, wait, there's a ram over there. And I don't even know how he saw it. It was so hard to see and covered in snow and everything. And so was it Willie? No, no, it was Sorry. Rusty Christopherson. Rusty. Oh. Yeah, Willie unfortunately was gonna, and that's Brendan's friend was gonna help us, and then he was on a hunt, oh. so he couldn't go on that deal. I never did meet Willie. I spoke with him several times. Really a nice guy. And everybody was pulling for Jennifer to get this ram because the biologists figured it was his last winter. He was an mm-hmm. old ram, and they thought he was gonna probably die of starvation that year. But um, Rusty Christopherson was the local guy that was helping us get around and stuff, mm-hmm. and he saw him and. It was a great spot, and so we got out on him, and then we hiked over a little bit. It was, like, really, the train was really weird. So we hiked over to where we could shoot across this valley, and um, the guy whose land we were hunting on, he told us before, he's like, do not shoot it in that valley. He's like, I had to get a deer down there once. It was terrible. So I was kind of like, okay, like, I can't shoot it. Like, drop like down here there. here we are, yeah. Yeah. 
And so um, I was laying. I was wearing every layer of any clothes I had. I was freezing. Wind and, blowing and mm-hmm. cold. It was just blowing about 25 miles an hour, and it was snowing, and she was laying in the snow Yeah. for 45 minutes, mm-hmm. I think. So I was laying there, and I didn't know what that ram had looked like because I had never actually seen it. And so my dad was like, okay, like, we'll wait till he stands up because he was sitting behind this little bank, so you, you could only see the top of his horns. And so my dad, when he stood up, he was like, okay, you can shoot the ram. And so he didn't want to tell me that that was a target ram we were looking for because he didn't want to, like, freak me out. So all I knew was, like, okay, this is the ram I'm going to shoot. And so um, when he stood up, I, like, I was behind my rifle, and I'd been laying there for 45 minutes. And so I shot, and I held for a wind because it had been windy that whole day. But right when I shot, the wind just stopped. And so I shot a little bit behind him. And so... I reloaded, and then they didn't really know what happened, so he was with a couple of youths, and so they just kind of did a little, like, loop, and then they, he was standing right back where he was, and so I didn't help, I didn't hold for any wind, and so I shot, and it was so cool, because it was so cold, you could see the vapor trail, and so the slow motion video of that, my shot, is you just see the vapor trail, and then you just see him drop, and oh my goodness. he dropped so a couple feet before he would have fallen off the edge, and, um, it was just, it was amazing, but it was kind of cool because, like, my adrenaline was, like, pumping, and so I didn't have a glove on because I didn't want to shoot with a glove on, so my left hand was nice and warm with my gloves. My right hand was honestly fine, and then after I saw my ram go down, my right hand just went numb. Mm-hmm. Like, I would not have been able to shoot another shot, but it was, it was crazy. How far was that it. shot, did you already say? It was, Wasn't like, 470 or something? No, it was, like, 425, I think, 425, 430. So now you got yeah. two so down. Now I two, mm-hmm. And you have a desert hunt coming up. Two that weeks. was November, so it was, it was very out. quickly you had another one coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was your health at this point in time? You were really good going into the July hunt, the mm-hmm. November. Did you, were you able to maintain that lung function? or? Did um, my lung function had basically stayed the same, but I hadn't been training as hard as I was for that July hunt because um, we had cars. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we, I wouldn't be hiking as much. But I was still, like, kind of training, and so I managed to keep my lung function. It didn't, like, drop significantly. It was around the same, around 65, which is kind of, like, my baseline. So <clears throat> we went out um, for New Mexico. My dad and I, we drove out there. Um, and obviously, like, I have school, so we had, what, like, three days to hunt maybe? Like, three or four days to hunt. So we drove out there, and we met up with the TAPS, and they drove in from Oklahoma, them and Cooper. So we met up, and then we, like, went out and just started looking around see what we could see and stuff. It's pretty cool. And that was with Mike Miller on the Armanderas, and um, saw lots of sheep. You saw one the first day mm-hmm. that we, we made a stock on yeah, and got in close and thought we could do a little bit better and passed him, what, 180 yards or something? It was very close. Yeah, it was pretty close. We were just, like, sitting there staring at him. I'm like, he's right there. But, no, we just passed on him, and then it kind of freaked me out because, well, it's over now. But, so, the my first hunt was one day. My second hunt was two days. My third hunt was three days. So, I kind of had the thoughts of my fourth hunt be four days. But on the second day of my um, desert hunt, we did not see, like, any sheep. So it was one of those days where you're like, like, oh, boy, what did I do passing that mm -hmm. ram? So it was kind of like, we're screwed. Like, I'm like, I have to go back to school, and we're not seeing any rams, let alone a legal ram. So I was like, did I, like, I was really worried that I wasn't going to be able to shoot a ram. But then the third day, um, we were just driving around, and some, one of the guys with us, he had spotted one, so we met up with them, and we got on my ram and shot him at, like, 350 or something like that. Nice. That was awesome. a great shot. So now you have your desert down. Mm-hmm. And at this point in time, are you starting to realize that 
I'm going to get this done. It was crazy. I was, it just started slowly, slowly yet super fast came like in reality. I was like, I only have one left and it happened in so little time. I was kind of, I did not expect it to happen that fast at all. And so I was, it was like an off. I was, this is insane. I did not believe it. I was like, I only have one left. This is crazy. So I was kind of like, I'm like, when's like, when's the shoe going to drop? Like when's something going to happen? Like what's going to go wrong? I'm like, I only have one left. Like this can't be happening the whole time. And so I was going to go for stone in August of 21. Uh, before, so this is November. And then November. what happens in oh. uh, January, um, Gray Thornton from Wild Sheep mm-hmm. Foundation invites you to give a speech mm-hmm. at the convention the same the same night that you heard mm-hmm. Kirsty speak the year before. So, mm-hmm. And you wound up being on the cover of the Wild Sheep magazine, which was just a tremendous mm-hmm. honor that um, they put your picture on there. And things started to fall in place for you. It was, it was getting insane. gave an amazing speech, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Talk, yeah. Were you nervous when you did that in front of I was really 1,800 nervous. people? You no one believed like me. It. Yeah, no one believes me. But I was really nervous. And I had given a speech at the uh, CF Gala before, but it was more CF-oriented because of the audience. And so this one was about my hunt and about my journey. And I was so nervous. I was sitting at dinner, and it's a nice dinner, and I could not eat. I was staring off into space, like running through all my bullet points in my head. And everyone's like, Jen, you're going to be fine. Like, stop freaking out. Like, you're, like, you're going to do great. And so then... I finally got up there and I gave my speech and I came back down and they were like, are you kidding me? They were like, you were acting like you were so nervous. And they're like, were you just messing with us? I was like, no, I was genuinely so nervous. But yeah, they kind of made fun of me because I acted so nervous before. But I was, I was really nervous. Man, when you got to the podium, it was just amazing. Just like ice cold, just delivered Mm -hmm. it awesome. And I'll note, um, you also have, you're also speaking again this coming week at the Wild Sheep Foundation Mm -hmm on friday night as well yes. so anybody out there listening if you're at the friday dinner mm-hmm. uh, you're going to get to hear miss jen speak again mm-hmm. and um i'm excited i'll be there and i'll be the one in the back heckling you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm nervous so. i kind of feel bad so if anyone listening sitting in the front row like i'm promise i'm not trying to stare at you but i always kind of I get stuck on, like, one group of people or, like, it happened to be one table that was, like, right in front of the podium. And I was, like, looking at them the whole time. And I felt and bad. And they're doing this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Luckily, these people I didn't know because if it was people I knew, they probably would have been messing with me. But <laughs> I felt bad because I felt like they thought I was staring at them. So every once in a while, I'd, like, look up and look around. But I kind of get, like, focused on one, like, one area. And I kind of get stuck there. And I kind of felt bad. I'm like, I'm not staring at you, I promise. I just kind of, like, you're in my line of vision right there. Well, I think it, doing it, really. anything yeah. you can do when you're public speaking to you know stay on task and keep your mm-hmm. focus i think it's important and yeah. i i've seen the video and listened to the audio and you knocked it out of the park and i'm sure you'll do the same uh this friday mm-hmm. coming it's, up it's kind of easy because it's my story you know so it comes from my heart so yeah. it's a lot easier to talk about yeah so now we have we're chasing after number four mm-hmm. and so what happened with that jay is she didn't mention it, but the North Dakota hunt, when she laid in the snow for 45 minutes, that night was a horrible night for her. I'll bet. She couldn't breathe. She was coughing. She was wheezing. We had electricity. We were in a, in a cabin, so she did nebulizer treatment several times that night, and that really got me concerned, thinking, well, I was planning to take her to Gundahoo to hunt for stone sheep, mm-hmm. but those horseback hunts, hunts can be brutal. It took me 21 days to get my stone sheep, and um, I was thinking, man, if she has those kind of problems there could be in real trouble so i uh, started thinking about a fan as an opportunity instead of a stone sure and we decided to book it with raven's throat 
So we have the helicopter option again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good. And the horses, yeah. yeah. I kind of want to get a stone, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Stones are like, they're so pretty, and I really, yeah. really want one. So, so you so booked with Raven's Throat and went after a Fannin, so that would have been, what, the next summer? It ha so I ended so the first hunt my doll was the first week opening day and then my second hunt was the first week opening day so I ended up getting like the same slot and it ended up being really cool because I got my ram the first day that I hunted which happened like because we waited a day to go out so it, it was a second day of season mm -hmm. but it was 366 days later which was like that's mm -hmm. so it cool. was so cool but yeah luckily like Grizz and um Ginger mainly, mainly Grizz went in the helicopter and he was scouting and like, looking for a fanon for me. And so he found one. So they had eyes on one and they had eyes on a couple and they had lost one. Like the weather changed and he's like, we haven't seen it since. But they still had eyes on a really good one. So that's where they put us. But in the months before training for that hunt, um, <clears throat> I had gotten on the new clinical. Was I on the new clinical trial? No, I wasn't. Just kidding. I got a new vest. And so um, we had been training a lot and I got a new vest and combination of other things so my lung function went up to like 72 percent wow so it was crazy so i was like so okay feeling good i was feeling really good and i was like and i am you, ready and you'd worked out mm -hmm. and kept your yeah, I trained strength. really hard and so i was like all right like i am ready i have one sheep left so i got 72 percent lung function and i had in my head that it was gonna be four days because every other ram was like one in the cemetery right. that so i was kind of like all right that's gonna be four days and my dad's like this is probably gonna be our hardest hunt I was like, all right, I am ready. I am like, I prepared as much as I can. So I was really excited and really ready for it. And then <clears throat> we got out and it was really cool because my, because David for his graduation present, he got a caribou and doll sheep hunt. So he was coming the week after I was. So we were going to, well, I knew no matter what, I was going to stay up at camp for the whole like 10 days or whatever it was. And so we were going to meet David and then we were going to like twitch backpacks, like say hi and bye and then head yeah. off. So it was really exciting because we all kind of were going on that whole journey together and David and I were like, all right, like it was really awesome that to like, share cool. that with him. And so <clears throat> we were kind of training and then that like more competition, like kind of both had our sheep hunts and stuff. So that was awesome. And then, um, uh, so then we went out first and, um, because they were still looking for that fan in, uh, we, I went out, not the day we got there, but opening day of the season. And so we got in that first day and then, the first day we got in, they kind of hiked out to scout a little bit, and they saw the rams. And so the next day, which the first day I could hunt, um, we hiked down and around. We had to hike kind of this, like, different way so they, they wouldn't see us. And we didn't know exactly where they were, but we had, like, an assumption of where they were. And so we hiked, like, down and around, and we camped high. So luckily we had to hike down there. And um, then we finally got eyes on them Grizz had to hike up a little bit more and then he finally got eyes on them so after we had taken a break and I took a nap like I usually do we um hiked down the saddle a little bit and then we got over and like we had eyes on that one ram and all we needed to see was that gray tail and so <coughs> we gray tail you said yeah, yeah. did I say gray yeah. tail yeah okay yeah we just needed to see that gray tail so we hiked over this ridge and I think it was Lincoln and he just starts whistling at us and there were like these two white dots and so we just dropped and I got behind my gun, and then um, James gave us, like, he's like, no, no, like, not not a gray tail. And so we're like, okay. So those rams went straight down and straight back up. So luckily, like, they kind of got spooked by us, I think. And luckily, they didn't spook the fanon because that fanon would have been gone. But so we kind of tried to follow those rams cause to find the fanon and stuff. So then we hiked down, and then we're like, okay, we see the ram. It's like 5, like 550 maybe. So we try and get as close as we could, and it was, like, 
it wasn't shale, but it was, like, pretty big rocks, and they were kind of sharp, and so, like, trying to hike across that was a little rough, and we got in as close as we could, and it was around 500, I think, eight yards, and so I was like, okay, like, this is the best, like, I can't shoot any, um, I can't get any closer, but I had practiced, obviously, like, I practiced with Pat Scroggin at 1,300 and, like, 800 and this things was like the that. the Gunworks gun. In my Gunworks rifle, yes, so I was really confident, and I had been practicing a lot, so I was like, okay, like, I can make the shot. So we set up, and I was kind of in an odd position because I couldn't get prone because we were, the hill was really steep and we were on the rocks and everything. So I was kind of laying, like, parallel to the ground, perpendicular to my gun. It, it looked, I'm sure it looked really uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. And you were landing on these rocks that were real jagged. It looked yeah, like it was Yeah, it looked really uncomfortable, but it was... I so you were able to tuck in behind mm-hmm. the gun, though, even yeah. though you were laying to the side? Yeah, kinda. it was a really weird position, but I got in and I got to where I was really comfortable and steady and I was like okay like I can do it like I'm steady as I'm ever going to be so we got on him and but then he started walking closer to us I was like okay so we're gonna wait so then I waited a little bit for him to come closer and he got to around like 480 and so um then we shot him and I was and then when he dropped I was I just lost it I just started crying and I couldn't believe it and I didn't want to move I'm like I can see him in my scope I'm like I don't want to move he can't move and so finally, like, we got up, and I was I was in awe. I couldn't believe it. And so we got up, and we had to hike across these rocks, and I was, like, sh- kind of shaky and, like, nervous. And it took me forever to get across those rocks, and I fell a bunch of times. I ripped my down jacket, which You're was like really sad. You're, like, everything, your knees were shaking. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah. mm-hmm. And so I fell a couple times. I hit my knee. But I let people forget it. I'm like, Lincoln. But, yeah, I hit my knee on some rocks, and um, but I didn't care. I was like, I don't care. I just need to get to that sheep. And so I just, I saw the white dot, saw the white dot, and then I kind of went down this little bit, and then I went up, and he was just, like, right there. I was like, this is insane. And so I just went up to him and then, you know, saw the gray tail, and he had, like, gray under his arms and everything, and gray in his face, and I was like, this is just, it was amazing. Then everyone came down, and we're all high-fiving and everything. It was awesome. And then I started crying again. (laughs) (laughs) So that was number four, and you completed it. Mm -hmm. So 366 days. Yep, seven days of hunting, like 1,700 yards of shooting and stuff. That's awesome. It's crazy. crazy. And what a difference for her, Jay. So at the end of that deal, it was kind of a rugged hike back. It was about seven or eight miles, I think, back to camp and over big boulders and real nasty And it just started raining when we left. So we had to hike up those big boulders and like the rain and i was slick boulders mm-hmm. so you got the like, true experience yeah and that one day it was kind of cool we like stopped at like the river we got some water and then like we looked up and like oh crap we gotta go so then we packed up and we're like all right we gotta go up this and i was well, obviously everyone was carrying my stuff for me but um like Grizz and my dad were carrying my ram and some other guys were carrying my ram and but i was like all right let's go and so i was in the front with lincoln and jim and cooper and we were all up there and i was the first one back at camp just yeah, she was what a transformation to go from 51% lung function to sprinting to camp after an eight-mile hike yeah, to finish her Grand middle. Slam and beats Lincoln to the tents, you know, back to our tent to to finish the thing. It was just mm-hmm. tremendous transformation for That's her. Awesome. That's incredible. You know, you mentioned Lincoln a bunch. Um, from what I understand, they filmed all four mm-hmm. hunts. and. Um, yeah. From what I understand, they're going to be airing it sometime coming up mm-hmm. on the Outdoor Channel. We don't know all the specifics yet. Yeah. Yeah, they were great. They were there that night when this whole journey started, and they were like, we want to be there for the rest of it. So they were awesome. Yeah, Jim Lincoln and Cooper were all there, and they filmed each hunt. And we the special bond with them has been great. And, um, yeah, it's going to air on the Outdoor Channel. We're not sure when, and we're not sure whether it's going to be like a three-part series or one whole thing. But 
we'll know like more details soon but it's gonna air and it's gonna be really awesome and what's the name of it uh, it's called undefined awesome can't mm -hmm. wait for that and maybe we can give you jay the teaser video if sure. you want to have a link on your yeah i'll promote it for yeah. sure mm -hmm. um something else to note um this week at the wild sheep uh foundation uh there has also been a hunt that's donated bob you, you guys can talk a little bit about that and they're going to auction it off and the money's going to go to cf let's um do our best to try and promote that uh, tell us what's going on on that hunt and that's great so um i took david to argentina last year for his fall break and we hunted at los Lorales lodge in argentina and the owner of that um john john renal really nice guy he was asking about the family and what we do and i mentioned the hunting and i mentioned jennifer and he went online and watched her video um of her speech and he said well i'd like to do something for cystic fibrosis um I'd like to donate a hunt for four people, a cast and blast for Golden Dorado and doves um, at his place. And um, that I think that'll be for this year, but <clears throat> he set up that 70% of that money will go to CF and it's gonna be awesome. So right after her speech in Reno, they're gonna auction that off live on stage and mm -hmm. hopefully it can generate some money for CF research. So very, um, very grateful to John John and, and um, also, uh, to Gray Thornton and everybody at Wild Sheep for letting us do that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And any, any listeners out there listening that want to bid on that hunt, um, you can send me a direct message on my Instagram or an, send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I'll make sure to get you hooked up so you can bid on that. And um, let's try and blow the doors off this and um, raise a bunch of money for CF. So here you are. You are a. So here I was. <laughs> so here I was. Uh, <laughs> 17 years old yep junior in high school yes and you completed your grand slam mm -hmm. and since then since you created or completed your grand slam you've actually been fortunate to shoot another sheep so yes. now you've shot a giant desert sheep yes that was amazing and so now you have five under your belt mm -hmm. um from all that you've accomplished uh is there a sense of satisfaction that okay i've completed that um does it does it allow you to kind of sit back and 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 reflect on it or does it create a situation where is there is there something else you want to do as far as i want to you know do whatever or do you have your sights set on other goals or where are you at in your personal quest well the, my grand like the grand slam was kind of like the the top of the top like yeah, if i, I mean, get that you, yeah. like i'm done yeah. so to finish it in a year and to be done by 17 i was i'm still kind of like i don't really know what i want to do next because that was the farthest i was looking ahead was grand slam and so everyone's like well, what are you going to do next i'm kind of like well i don't really know because <laughs> that was what i wanted to do the most and so i kind of just want to focus on um just like working on the little things instead of having a giant thing in mind but I learned a lot through the whole journey and I learned mostly that CF doesn't define who I am and it doesn't set my limits for me while it prohibits like it for pushes back but I can push even harder so um it if anything comes up I know that I can work if I work hard for it that I can do it but right now I'm just kind of I don't know basking in the glory of finishing I guess mm -hmm. I'm just kind of in all of it still and so i haven't i don't have like one giant goal in mind but anything that does come up i know that i can work hard and achieve it that's awesome it's an inspiration for 
me and I know it's been an inspiration for your parents to watch you um, battle through some of the things that you've that you've done and it hasn't been easy yeah right it was I mean it seemed easier than I thought I mean looking back at it now it seemed easier than I thought but like in the moment it was it was a lot of work to get to get there yeah so I would like to thank Brian Rimza and Nicole Rimza who gave her, her that desert sheep tag his mm -hmm. sister drew it and through the outdoor experience for all and Eddie Corona and Chris Denham, she was able to get that desert sheep tag. And that's something that I think that you've mentioned on your podcast before for people that if you draw a tag in Arizona and you can't do the hunt, uh, if you have point guard, you can keep your points and donate it to a, a sick child or a wounded warrior's kid or wounded warrior, and they can get out and experience the outdoors. So Yeah, it's yeah. amazing to be able to see that. Obviously, I belong to Outdoor Experience for All, and I've gotten a lot of hunts through them. And I've met a lot of kids who did that as well, and it's it's amazing just to see to go on hunts with them and to see them going their own hunts and their own journeys is amazing to see yeah such an awesome organization hats off you know to the arizona game and fish for allowing mm -hmm. something like that so that kids and wounded warriors and other people can enjoy mm -hmm. those experiences and then to have you know groups like eddie corona and outdoor experience for all just yeah. amazing um i want to commend you on of course your accomplishment but i want to commend you on the person that you are oh thank you and um it's uh it makes me pretty emotional to see how incredible of a person that you are first and foremost but to be able to shoot the grand slam of sheep and now have five um is an amazing accomplishment for any person but someone certainly under you know the age of 17 and to face the challenges that you've faced it uh it's enough to make anybody believe that they can do anything if you set your mind to it mm -hmm. yeah thank you and i just wanted to give you guys an opportunity to you know maybe concluding thoughts or anything that you know you want to say that maybe we didn't cover or you know if you have you know anything you want to say to anybody out there as far as you know you can set you know do anything you set your mind to or mm -hmm. Um, whatever, I'll open it up to you guys. Well, I think um, watching Jennifer tackle this challenge has uh, been so rewarding as a parent, and to have Bob lead the way and letting, giving her the confidence that don't worry, I got your back. And just like the Wounded Warriors, just like you know your faith in God, when you know that somebody's looking over you. Um, you can disguise the limit and yeah. watching bob know that she, that he's got her back and we'll prepare her as much as possible but it's up to jennifer to face her fear sure and you can't teach that sure you can't force that that has to be within the person and for jennifer to be a young person already realizing uh, the challenges that she has and she lives with every day and the fear of the unknown fear of pushing it too hard fear of failure uh, just fear of challenge. Sure. Um, life is easy, um, but to actually welcome the challenge, facing the fear, and um, accomplishing something like she did yep. is something so rewarding as a parent. And her story translates really well to life because you don't have to be a hunter, or fisherman, or any outdoorsman. You can be just a normal human being sure. on the face of the earth and realize that we all have fears, we all have challenges and limitations. And to just pick out something in your life that might be easy for someone else is something very hard for you. doesn't mean you can't try 
uh, and success is in the effort. Um, and I think Jennifer is a great example of that. And I couldn't be any more proud to be her mom and to be a partner in Bob, uh, his efforts in making this dream happen with, with Jennifer. So it's been great. And we've got two other great kids that aren't getting all the airtime with David and Timmy. They've been very supportive of Jennifer. And so many people were so supportive of her through this, whether it was Jim Wynn, Jim McKenna Trek, or the Wilderness Athlete people, or Wild Sheep Federation, Gunworks. Uh, Rocky Mountain Precision, just so many people that really helped her and inspired her. It was great. And Jay, you're asking what she has next. I'm really pushing for four North American wild prairie dogs. There are a lot cheaper <laughs> than yeah. They're readily available. The airfare is easier to get around for those. So maybe she can set that as a goal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's been pushing that for a little bit. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Prairie dogs. Or go go turkey hunting with Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're looking forward to doing that. Too. I look over there and I see the poster, the climb, and I see Jennifer, you know, it's... Um, that's 2017 photo and there you are with your backpack and you've got your trekking mm -hmm. poles and I would assume that photo was probably taken on the first hunt yep at Raven's Throat and um like you said Carol I mean there's not much more we could say after you summed it up I mean it's basically a mic drop um you, you nailed it perfectly but um everybody in life faces challenges and you know Jennifer's story is just a testimony that you can face those head on mm -hmm. and um, you know, you can accomplish anything you set your mind to. So mm -hmm. I can't wait to see uh, the blessings that God has for you in the future. And for me, the amazing thing that you can, you know, relate to so many people with your story, because there's people that struggle with lots of different things. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just an inspiration. It's been a blessing to have you guys here on the podcast. And um, I value all of you guys' friendship, and it's just been, it's going to be awesome to see you knock it out of the park on Friday <laughs> with your speech. And Crap, it's get already your, like less than a week away. <laughs> get your award, so you better start taking some notes oh and yeah, get it figured out. But I know you're going to do a great job, um, and I look forward to many more uh, th fun things that we'll do in the future. And like game nights and turkey hunts. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's awesome. So. God bless you guys, the Griego family. You're an Thank awesome you, Jay. group. Thank you, Jay. Thank Thanks, you very Jay, much. for this opportunity. It's been a lot of fun for us to, to relive it with other people, and we're just appreciative that we have the platform to do it, and thanks for asking us to share our story. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Yeah, it's awesome, and yeah. if anybody out there listening, um, let's fight the CF, and if you want any additional information, please send me an email, and I will put you in touch with all the right people if you want to make a donation. Um, and uh, let's fight this. And we, we've already come a long ways. You, mm -hmm. Carol said that they've come a long mm -hmm. ways, and I believe we can come further. So mm -hmm. um, if, if it's on your heart to do something, please contact me, and uh, we'll make it happen. So, guys, Thank thanks. Thank you, Jay. Thanks, Jay. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, thanks Jay.